0: If you would turn to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. As we've seen in our study of the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is in essence saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, as he told his townmates in Nazareth. He begins by proclaiming the Lord's favor in what we know as the Beatitudes, taken from the word in Latin for blessed. The form of the Beatitudes is rooted in the Psalms. And the Jewish audience to whom Jesus is speaking are quite familiar with it. In fact, the book of Psalms opens with the words, blessed is the man who does not walk on the counsel of the wicked. In Psalm 32, we read, blessed is the man who sin The Lord does not count against him. It is a familiar form. The people know it. But with it come certain expectations. The idea that God will bestow something good on those who are listening. It is a pronouncement of God's favor. But as we have seen, what Jesus says is contrary to all expectations, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and blessed are the merciful. And when I say that they are contrary to expectations, what I mean is that we do not want to be poor. We do not want to mourn. We do not want to be meek or humble. We want to hunger and thirst after other things, not righteousness. And we do not want to be merciful. We prefer getting our revenge. Today, we come to the sixth beatitude, found in verse number 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. At this point, we're already a bit wary because of what has preceded this beatitude. Jesus indicates the type of purity that he is looking for, to which he is referring by saying, in heart, the pure in heart. He did this for two other beatitudes when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And as we saw, being poor in spirit is different from being poor in other ways. And hungering and thirsting for righteousness is quite different from the other hungers and thirsts, which are not wrong. They mark us as human beings, but Jesus is speaking of something different. So we might wonder, he's talking about the pure in heart, in contrast to what? From what is it distinguished? What are the other purities that we might imagine? The usual interpretation that people have when they look at this passage, and it's the thing that comes to mind, is that Jesus is speaking of internal purity versus external. That is moral versus ceremonial. Indeed, we find this in the Psalms, in Psalm 24. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. So clean hands, external, a pure heart, internal. Who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. In the Psalm of Confession, Psalm 51, David prays, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me in Psalm 73 the psalmist Asaph is troubled because he sees that the wicked prosper seemingly and the righteous do not. He says surely God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. The idea of the internal versus the external was a running theme as Jesus confronted the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They were obsessed with external purity. So when we get to Matthew 23, we have seven woes that Jesus pronounces on these people. And toward the end, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. The emphasis is on the inward and the moral versus the external and the ceremonial, keeping the rules if you wish. We find this through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus calls us for heart righteousness rather than rule righteousness, like keeping the rules rather than having a pure heart. And so one might easily conclude that that's what Jesus is talking about here, here in this sixth beatitude. But I would suggest if you look at this verse in the context of the other beatitudes, and you see it as Jesus is making a progression, I think he's pointing in, some, in a different direction. I think he's talking about our relationship with other people. We saw last Sunday that the Beatitudes, or eight of them, are divided into two groups of four. The first deal with our relationship with God, and the second section, where we are now, deals with our relationships with other people. We find the same division, by the way, in the Ten Commandments, we saw this last week. The first four commandments deal with our relationship with God. I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods beside me. And then the second group, beginning with honor your father and mother, deal with our relationships with human beings, our other, our fellow creatures, those made in the image of God. So the Ten Commandments have been described as two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said everything hangs on this. The law and the prophets hang on these two commandments Again, I mentioned this last week, Francis Schaeffer used to say, we are to love God enough to be content, and we are to love our neighbor enough not to covet. The way that we treat other people is as important as our relationship to God. The second section, our relationship with others, began last week when we looked at being merciful. We are called to be merciful, and now Jesus calls us to be pure in heart. What can he mean? In the past, we've seen that righteousness, as it is used in scripture, is used in two different ways. One, by the way, requires perfection, that is legal righteousness. The other is moral righteousness, which is a call to obedience. In legal righteousness, we have been reconciled to God. We have been made perfect through what Jesus has accomplished. In moral righteousness, we are now God's people, and we are to live a particular way. I think it is the second category where Jesus is speaking of being pure in heart, not legally righteous because then we would all be out of luck because no one can keep the law perfectly. We are to be obedient. We are to do what is right. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? I read a moment ago from Psalm 24, he who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. We find that David points to two relationships, a person's relationship with God and with other people. And one reflects the other. One would argue that you cannot have a right relationship with God and it not be reflected in your relationship with people and vice versa. So the one who does not worship a false God, that's a relationship with God and it is internal, does not swear by what is false. That's our dealing with people, that is external. Simply put, there is to be an agreement between what we are inside and what we do outside. What we think and what we do. Jesus said in Matthew 15, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. These are the things that are internal. One might ask, well, okay, if in fact who I am inside is to be in agreement with who I am outside, that is what I think and what I do are to be in agreement, then shouldn't I just do what's in my heart? Because otherwise I would be guilty of hypocrisy. I don't think that Jesus is saying, listen, you people need to be consistent. That What's in your heart is the way that you need to act. By the way, I don't know, have you ever met someone who says, you know, I I just say what's on my mind. You know, I'm just frank. I I don't hold back. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm just going to say what I think. Have you ever noticed, at least the people I've met who are like that, usually are not very pleasant people, and what they have to say isn't very pleasant. Um, Jesus is not saying in this beatitude, simply be yourself, be consistent, let your heart and your actions agree. Because he knows and we know what is in our hearts. And if we said what was in our hearts, people might well be devastated if not destroyed. Jesus is not saying be yourself. He calls us to act and speak without hypocrisy, out of a pure heart. But how can I have a pure heart? After all, Jeremiah tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What we must do is begin at the beginning of the Beatitudes this is where Jesus begins and we must as well blessed are the poor in spirit see on our own we cannot be pure in heart because our hearts are vile our only contribution can be sin we are spiritually bankrupt but we need to know this and we need to acknowledge this that the only good that is in us or that comes out of us is what God has put there and every day we must begin at this point. We must acknowledge our poverty. In the hymn we sang earlier, in my hands no price I bring, as we saw as we went through this, if your hands are full, if you are content with what you have, then you cannot receive anything from God. It is only a person who has empty hands, who is poor, who then can receive what God has to give. And so we have to begin at the first beatitude. And it isn't enough that we acknowledge our poverty. We have to mourn over our poverty and over our sins. And then we are to be humble before God. Blessed are the meek. And we are to hunger and thirst to do what is right. But again, there is a progression here. And if we start simply at blessed are the pure in heart, then I think we will miss what Jesus is saying. As we saw last week, blessed are the merciful. We are to have compassion for those who are in need. Martin Luther described the merciful as those who come to the aid of the needy. This is what we are to do. And from these five things we have seen thus far comes the next, which is to be pure in heart. But there's a struggle here. Because have you ever said to yourself, "Uh, I don't want to speak to so-and-so, because oh, if I did, I'll tell them what I think and that wouldn't be pretty. But stop a moment. What do you think of that person? Is there mercy in your thoughts? Are you showing mercy in your thoughts toward them as God has shown mercy toward you and his actions toward you? Do you hunger and thirst to do what is right, to love your neighbor as yourself? Is there meekness and humility in your thoughts? Or do you find yourself without sin, seemingly, and you have condemned that person in your mind? Do you mourn over what sin has done in that person's life? Do you pray for them? Do you mourn for the damage that has been done? Jesus calls us at this step in the progression of Beatitudes to be pure in our hearts and to deal with others accordingly. Throughout the scriptures, the heart is seen as a source of various human aspects. Of our emotions, we read of the glad heart, the son who brings joy to his mother's heart, the fearful heart. It's also the place of the will, a heart that devises wicked schemes, Daniel purposed in his heart. So it is a place of the will. It's also a place of the intellect. Mary treasured and pondered all these things in her heart. But I don't think we need to go out of the Gospel of Matthew. I think if we stayed in Matthew, we could ask ourselves, what does Matthew record of Jesus' statements with regard to the heart? In chapter 12, verse 34, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever's in your heart, that's what's going to come out. In chapter 15, but the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. These make a man unclean. So I think we could agree on some level that when Jesus speaks of being pure in heart he is speaking of inner purity. But we must also acknowledge that there is an external component. It comes from the internal realities. And one makes a person as guilty as the other. You can't say well I'm pure in heart but not in my actions or I'm impure in my heart but pure in my actions. We see this later in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks after a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, Some might say, well, listen, if if I've done it in my heart, I might as well do it. Uh, No, Jesus is speaking of the guilt. That if there is, in fact, internal sin, that is just as guilty as if you have done something. It is not the same type because, if nothing else, the consequences of external actions are quite different. When Jesus calls us to be pure in heart, he calls us to be holy. Why doesn't he just say, blessed are the pure? Why does he, why is he so specific, blessed are the pure in heart? I think in part because many of the people listening to him thought that they were pure. So Jesus is leaving no doubt in his listeners' minds that he is speaking about that which is genuine, that in which there is agreement between what is in my heart and my actions. The purity that is called for is not something that will gain us God's favor because then we would all be lost. God has given us grace. He has given us salvation. And now he calls us to reflect that that in our thinking, in our actions, we are to be pure. But one might well ask, why? Why do I need to be pure in heart? Why does Jesus make such a big deal about this? I I thought he wanted to bless us. What is this about us being pure in heart? Well, if you look at scripture, you find that this is the call of God throughout scripture. Beginning in Leviticus 11, uh, and it is quoted throughout scripture, Be holy because I am holy. This is what God wants. We are made in the image of God who is holy. He wants us to be holy. Uh, The fact is, that is not our natural condition. Our natural condition is that of impurity. And now that God is redeeming us out of darkness, out of impurity, he calls us to be pure. He calls us to be holy. Or as Jesus says at the end of chapter 5 here, be perfect. Therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. In Romans chapter 1, Paul spoke I think of the natural condition of humanity. Furthermore since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have been become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, They not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. This is the natural state of humanity. But this is why God has called us to be his people. He made us to be like him, but we have messed it up royally. We are messed up by sin, and now he redeems us. He calls us out of that. He calls us to be like him. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, for he, that is God, chose us in him, in Jesus Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. And then he wrote to the Romans, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. There are some who sort of skip over these verses because they deal with predestination and they get all sort of freaked out about that. I think, whatever you think about predestination, it is very clear that God's purpose is that we would be pure, that we would be holy, that we would be like Jesus. This is why Jesus died. This is why he gave his life. Peter writes, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Paul would write to Titus, that our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to take us out of impurity, bring us to purity, to redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. How wrong impurity is, should be seen in the fact that it cost Jesus his life. And the call to be pure then makes sense. But again, you know, in some sense you could argue we don't need to leave the Gospel of Matthew to see what is being said here. Do you remember what the angel told Joseph? You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins from our impurities. We are called to be pure in heart. Do you think that Jesus saves us from our sins only to let us live any type of life that we might choose? I find myself at this point wondering, okay, but what exactly is a pure heart? And as is often the case, I'm helped by looking at what the opposite is. What is an impure heart? If I can understand what an impure heart looks like, then I might have a better sense of what a pure heart is, to be pure in heart. Let me me give you some, some suggestions. First of all, an impure heart is an ignorant heart. That is, we are ignorant of our sin and of Jesus Christ. Before we were converted, we were blind. We are told this in Scripture that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They cannot see the light of the glory of Christ. But now that we have become the children of God, we can see. But are we still ignorant? Are we ignorant about sin, about our obedience, about what Jesus has done for us? I think ignorance of the truth is in fact the mark of an impure heart. Also an impure heart fails to see the need for purity. The impure heart thinks it's God made. An impure heart, by the way, is not poor in spirit because it says, I have everything. The church in Laodicea, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. An impure heart cherishes sin. Uh, It's not only that we delight in sin, or indulge in sin, but live in sin. I find it fascinating, if you know the book of Romans, that after talking of the theology of grace, and then you have the three chapters on Israel, and you come to chapter 12, that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Seems like, okay, this is all gonna be the good stuff and what we are supposed to do. But in chapter 13, Paul says, do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We are not to cherish sin. We are not to sit around thinking about what we can do that is wrong. Why would we do that? Well, an impure heart is an unbelieving heart. We don't believe what God says about himself. We don't believe what he says about us. We don't believe what he says about sin. And so we do whatever we want. An impure heart covets. Remember, we are supposed to love our neighbor enough not to covet. Well... An impure heart covets. It is discontent. It replaces God with another God. It is selfish. It is self-centered. And out of it comes theft and murder, we are told. And Lastly, an impure heart hates purity. The call of Christ seems to be a burden. The commandments seem legalistic. And I think a sign that we might be drifting, if you wish, out of a pure heart back to an impure heart is that the things that used to be delightful, the things that used to be sweet, the things that we loved about God, suddenly they lose their taste and at some point maybe even become bitter. You might be wondering, but I, th- I thought that this, the beatitude, this beatitude is about our relationship with other people. Well, think about it. Are we ignorant or do we forget that the other people we deal with are made in the image of God? Do we not see the the need for a right relationship with others? Do we hold on to those sins that separate us from other people, do we cherish them? Do we not believe what God says when when he tells us that people are made in God's image? And do we covet what belongs to others? This beatitude tells us blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. What does this blessing, this blessedness mean for they will see God? I'm convinced that only those who are pure in heart will see God, will know who God is. They will have a right relationship with him, now by faith, and then after death in eternity. Is it because such people are better than other people? They are pure, they're good people, The pure in heart, no. Is it because they've earned the right to see God? Not at all it is because they have recognized their poverty, they have empty hands, they have mourned over their sins, they are meek and humble, they hunger to do what is right, and they are merciful. Jesus said, all things have been committed to me by my Father, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus has revealed God to us, and through him, we see God. By the way, the very next verse after that, I think you're probably very familiar with, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. last Sunday after the sermon someone came up to me and said essentially um, Damon I, I'll be glad when you get through the Beatitudes because they're just killing me um, and I think if we'd be honest they do they're not easy but we have to start at the beginning and if we don't start with the fact that we need Christ we are poor poor in spirit if we don't start there then then you can say whatever you want about the rest and people have. It's like the Ten Commandments. If you don't start with I am the Lord your God then the other commandments can be just moralistic rules. But here as Jesus proclaims the good news the first thing he says is blessed are the poor in spirit. And that's where we have to begin. And then we get to the point Where we can hear the words, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's pray together. Our Father, it is a part of our fallenness that we seek to remake you into something we're more comfortable with. We who are made in your image seek to remake you in our image. And even when we come to these powerful words, the Beatitudes, we try to make them something other than what Jesus intends. Because the reality is we don't want to be poor and we don't want to mourn. We don't want to be humble. We don't want to be merciful. We want to be right. For those who are not your people, I pray that you would call them to yourself and help them to see their poverty. For those of us who are your people, may we see our ongoing poverty, that moment by moment, we are to be relying on you, that all good gifts come from you, all good things come from you. I cannot be pure in heart. I cannot even mourn over my sins if I do not acknowledge that I am poor. But in doing this, in taking on the yoke of Christ, we will see that the burden is not heavy. Because we're not carrying it by ourselves. not something we're trying to do. But your spirit as he works in our lives. Pray that in the days to come, we would think on these things and meditate on them. We're grateful for those that are worshiping with us today. Pray for those that are away that you would watch over them for the G's in particular, that you would restore them to very busy two weeks. May each of us have a sense of your presence in the coming days. And by your grace, may we be lights in a world of darkness. May your spirit and your grace go with us as we leave this place today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.